made on Jajaburung country. This is Not, Not the, the Babysitter, Babysitter, a show from Women's Health Loddon Mallee about fatherhood and breaking free of gender stereotypes. I'm Ella Burke. In this episode, we're exploring how well we support dads to be the parents they aspire to be in big systems like hospitals and in the community, including parents groups and friends and family. You'll hear from David Buckfield about what it was like to support his partner through a pregnancy and birth with high risk complications, what he's learned from his parents-in-law about parenting and why mental health services help him to be the parent he wants to be. My name's David and my partner is Catherine. Um, the boys are Ollie and Teddy. Uh, Ollie's free and Teddy's just turned one. So I'm originally from the UK and we're sitting in um, what I would call the bush in, in uh, Juniton um, in our lounge room. This is our first home together that we bought about three years ago, and here we've had um, two boys. David's youngest child, Teddy, was delivered six weeks early due to a very rare and potentially life-threatening complication, Vasa Previa. I was curious to know how this had affected David and how he was supported as a dad by his own social networks and the health system, both in the lead up to and following Teddy's arrival. You'll hear David mention John and Cheryl, who are Kat's parents and live nearby. Could you tell me the story of Teddy's arrival from your perspective and what that means for a family and for you as a father when Teddy arrived early in mm. those sort of stressful circumstances? So Vesaprevia is essentially that the umbilical cord hasn't formed properly. So where it's normally quite a tough... Um, almost rubbery, um, strong bind, it's um, the blood vessels are exposed. So you can't, um, Kat was very quickly, she had regular scans and which were scary to go to. Um, and then her, she couldn't exercise, she couldn't walk for lengths of time. They advised her, I believe, not to drive because if you had to slam on the brakes, but um, there's only so much you cannot drive. Um, and then she went into hospital weeks before um, he was, they were always gonna um, do a cesarean six weeks before his due date, mm -hmm. so that there was minimal risk that she go into a natural labor. Because if she went into a natural labor and pushed, it would have broken that cord and he would have bled out. Um, so six weeks before his due date, um, the Caesar was booked in and then I believe it was two or three weeks before that Kat had to go into hospital and be under um, observation the whole time. So she um, bore that really well um, but to go back to those scans it was even a um, it was it, it was a worry because you're trying to deal with a daily task of I was in a new job as well but I never wanted to miss a scan because what if this scan said that they had broken and we'd lost the baby? So um, both making the time to continually do that was even a um, challenge in itself mentally because 
I believe that most people think that their work is probably up there with, you know, that you would hope that people put family above work, but it's certainly up there. Um, and it sort of brought it into perspective that, you know, at 10, 10 a.m. this Wednesday, no matter what's happening at work, I have to be at the hospital. So that was that was quite a bonding moment for us. Um, and then we were just making plans about the fact that we moved out of here and moved back in with John and Cheryl so that um, when Kat was admitted to hospital, I would try and stay there as much as possible. Um, but she was essentially... Um, well we've joked now that she was COVID-19 training because she was essentially in isolation um, and we could go in and visit and Ollie would go there for an hour or two and um, it was pretty pretty rough and it was quite disconnecting um, it felt like I was in a long distance relationship because mm. you know we could text a bit in the day and that sort of felt a bit normal but then I'd go home we would rush through, and poor Ollie, we were rushing dinner, we would rush through books, and I distinctly remember um, if he picked a longer book, skipping pages, um, and feeling guilty about that because he didn't, he didn't know, but he, at the heart of it, you could see, sort of see he was not getting the attention he normally got or not getting the love he normally got. So it was really challenging to then... And sometimes if he wouldn't go to bed, I'd be like, well, I have to go. And John and Cheryl stepped in and that was pretty awesome to try and see Kat most nights. Um, and the, I suppose the feeling of, there was, I believe, a smaller risk to Kat than Teddy. Uh, we didn't know he was Teddy, but he came out as Teddy. Um, I... I I know that if it had broken Teddy, the small amount of blood that he would have had at that size, um, even admitted to hospital, there was nothing that they could do in time. Um, I don't know how lethal it would have been to Cat, um, uh, less so, um, but it really brought it home when the Caesar happened, which was really a different way to have a, have a baby, really quite... Um, very clinical. Um, but, I mean, Bendigo did a fantastic job the whole time. We were we were chuffed to be be there. Um, but it's different when you Kat described it as being in labour and even witnessing it. You go into labour and it's a process, and you and you and you sort of ride that wave and go on that journey. Whereas we knew at eleven forty five we'd have a baby, and we went in at ten thirty, and then it was eleven, and then it's like oh okay now you got your injection and you're laying down and um and they actually tried to show it they took teddy out and he was healthy and they took him away and were doing stuff and um they lifted they tried to lift the umbilical cord out and show us um and just as she lifted it it just broke in the middle so it was like wet tissue paper the strength of wet tissue paper um so it was just really um made me feel very mortal <laughs> like mate it was it was that sort of close and and then all the precautions made sense that she couldn't lift stuff that was over five kilos she couldn't bend she couldn't even the driving thing made sense if she'd had to slam on the brakes it would have twisted her pelvis and um so really scary with teddy being premature what did that mean for that first um period of time 
Yeah, so Teddy stayed in hospital for another length of time, um, and we actually uh, weren't allowed to stay with him. He was in the intensive care unit, so he was in a he couldn't breathe on his own, so he was hooked up to um, CPAP machines and and had pulse monitors on him, and he was in his little fishbowl. Um, and Kat was across the way in her room, and she was discharged, and. Um, there was no room for her to stay with Ted. So we were leaving um, our baby and driving home and that got too much quite quickly, I think after a few days. So we booked accommodation across the road from the hospital, which even being walkable distance, I think changed the mindset a bit. Um, We weren't walking down a corridor, but we we were walking we were walking to him, so it felt a bit more connected. So um, feeding him through a tube, which we were allowed to do, so Kat had some connection, she would express, and then we would feed him, and I was able to do that as well. Um, and then um, we were able to start holding him as well. So that connection, it all felt, again, very... Um, I don't think I put Ollie down for... Unless I was asleep I don't think I put Ollie down um for weeks I held him and cuddled him all the time but I couldn't do that with Ted um and it makes me wonder what um what that changes relationship wise on a biological level um because obviously now I don't treat them any different but I wonder what connection that um may have missed out on I don't know that skin contact I'm not sure but um Feeling powerless with a newborn is amplified when you can't even hold them as a dad. So Kat um, was lucky enough to be able to breastfeed both our boys and with Ollie, at least when she wasn't breastfeeding him, I could hold him and burp him or put him to bed and stuff. Um, With Teddy, I couldn't even do that. So that feeling of, um, because you are surplus to needs, like while they're on the boob or I felt surplus to needs during Ollie's labor. Um, and we were both surplus to needs during Teddy's labor. And then, um, you know, I wasn't required <laughs> like for so, it felt like for so long, wasn't needed for so long. Um, cat would tell you completely different, but the, the feelings I had were, um, of having a newborn baby for a dad, I feel like we're amplified there. Um, and obviously with um, Teddy's, I guess with any baby that arrives, usually the health system has a role to play in it. Um, and that's obviously heightened um, for children like Teddy that need extra care um, to arrive safely. How supported or not by the health system and the health professionals that you interacted with um did you feel in your role as a dad as a dad Hmm. yeah okay um that yeah that changes my answer probably as a family extremely supported um as a dad not overly but maybe i'll take that butt away uh I do, 
I don't know what more I would ask for. If someone during all that had sat me down and said, what can we do for you? I would have said, do more for Cat and Teddy. We'll get, get Cat a room so she can stay there. And, I, and if they had repeated it and said, yep, fine, but what can we do for you? I don't know what I would have answered. Mm. I don't know what I would have looked for um, with both boys and especially with Teddy. Um, I'm, I'm, quite, I, I, I'm quite comfortable in, in talking to people about mental health and I see a, a psychiatrist and um, I am happy to um, talk about the fact that I... Um, psychologist, sorry, um, do that, and so maybe if they had offered that, but I don't know what I would have said to them. Like I feel surplus to needs, maybe, but I felt like I could talk to Cat about that. Um, but I think having that on the table and having that offered, because I know that I've got a support network of friends and mental health professionals to talk to. Mm. Um, maybe someone two beds down from us felt completely alone and didn't know what to do so maybe just being offered that um option maybe even being aware that they have that option that if, that there is a mental health plan available if you you know getting that referral to a gp because there were awesome things in place for um, lactation consultants and for cats or a physio and i think a surgeon came and checked on her and i can't remember if there was a mental health professional but um, and at no point during that did I think, oh, I wish someone would check in on me because to me, if she was okay, then I was okay. But I think for people that are in a situation where they are alone or have had to travel to Bendigo to have that baby, we're lucky that we're five, 10 Ks away. If someone had traveled down to, cause it's the nearest big hospital, they may not have that support network near. Um, and being able to talk to someone um, even even a counsellor on site might might be of assistance. We'll circle back to mental health later in this episode. But first, let's look at what can happen when you take a baby home for the first time. It's an extraordinary learning curve for new parents, and sometimes parenting is just different from how you thought it would be. If you think back to your childhood, and you mentioned you um, hail from the UK... What was your impression of what it meant to be a dad, however that might apply in in your context? Um, I think it was um, almost very service-based, like you um, work and earn money and with that money you go on one holiday a year and you put food on the table and clothes on everyone's back um, is how I remember it. Um, and I've uh, probably doesn't quite equate to the experience I have now, which is a, a lot more um, probably, obviously I can only see what I feel and feel what I feel, um, but a lot more emotionally involved and more emotional investment than, than maybe I expected. Um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, something that I've been wrestling with, uh, as well. Um, especially when you, you know, I, I had, um, Ollie when I would have been 28, um, which I, growing up, you sort of think 28 is quite young to have a, a, a 
well, I certainly did have a have a kid, um, and then growing to terms that I'm still getting comfortable in my own skin, um, and then having to teach to, in this case, boys, but to kids for generic terms, um, how to, uh, you know, manage your emotions, manage expectations of yourself and others, and um, answer those tough questions that sometimes aren't even verbally asked. They're just, you know. They're trying to express a feeling and don't know how. If you turn your mind towards the future and the world you want to create for fathers and boys, um, what are three words that you would use to describe a good dad? Safe and happy Um, patient first because it takes so much patience to be a parent and a good partner safe in that you can be their first port of call in any storm that they feel safe coming to you and sharing any problem and any worry or fear Um, and happy in the fact that you've got a son or daughter that feels they can come to you and talk to you and you've worked hard at that. You've succeeded in raising someone that feels safe to come and talk to you. Most people want the men and fathers in their lives to be loving, caring and respectful which is clearly how David aspires to be. But when there's a gap between the role modelling men grew up with and their own aspirations for how they want to parent, what resources can they draw on to help them learn how to live up to those aspirations? The thing that I think that maybe could exist is um, Kat today's taken the boys and she's gone to a park and she's meeting um, three or four mates from her mother's group. as I'm aware, I don't believe that there's a replicated group for fathers. Um, and she's made some awesome friends through, through Mother's Group. And, and, and I, know, know the, I know now how Mother's Group's work in that they were all first-time mums in the area. Um, and to see something like that replicated for first-time dads, even those partners... The, 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 the girls have been great in trying to bring partners in, but if there had been a separate, I know it's not mandated, but separate, I think they had 10 sessions that were facilitated by someone. If there was a separate thing for men to go to and either whether they were just the partners of those mums or they were just from the area as well, I think that would be pretty awesome to have someone that you could check in with like, oh, you know, my kid's doing this, or how are you feeling, or um, nothing to do with kids. Do you just want to hang out, sort of thing? Um, you know, I get pressure. I don't have much time nowadays. Like, but would you like to come and do this and um, something like that? I think would be important because I have certainly noticed that Kat's got these great friends that she can talk to about the development of the boys. Whereas I am lucky in that I've got. Um, brothers-in-law or friends but 
they existed pre-kids as well. So it would be good to expand that network there. Um, that would be that would be awesome. In the absence of formal learning and support targeted at fathers, David has relied on his social networks, drawing on positive role modelling from his parents-in-law and friends. When you think about that extraordinary first year of a child's life and the development and the leaps in development are extraordinary mm. and it's, you know, one of the privileges of being a parent to witness in close quarters that amazing steep curve of mm. development in that first year but it's also an incredibly steep curve for parents and so when you think about um and i'm thinking as well of that image that you drew of fatherhood from your childhood versus the aspirations of the father that you want to be how did you learn to parent and how did you what were the, your sources of support um, that helped you step into that role when you became a father? Yeah, so still blows my mind that after, I think, two nights in the hospital with your first baby, they just go, yep, take take your baby home now. And I go, <laughs> right, okay. We'd had a few lessons in the prenatal up in Brisbane of, um, of how to put a nappy and how to swaddle, and then you just go home with a baby. Um, and in Bendigo, there's a great um, maternal child health program and so we had those visits which was comforting but we were also going to probably the best place in the world for us in that we were going to cat's parents who are just around the corner from here in a in a on a beautiful piece of land and and beautiful house and so we lived there for a year so for the first year of ollie's life so he essentially had four parents for that time which uh was never really tricky like boundaries were really respected and and clear and he was always held we've we've noted that teddy's probably a bit more squirmy and uh, vocal and uh, and we believe that's because he there's only two of us to hold him and now there's all if one of us is doing something with ollie and leaving doing another chore no one's got teddy mm. whereas at john and cheryl's it was well someone would then have him or be playing with him so ollie was always engaged with the whole time for the first year um and certainly modeling that and that patience that john and cheryl show of um you know if there's a tantrum cheryl's response isn't anger or frustration it's um one of probably un- trying to let's trying to understand why it's happening but more just trying to move past it not dwelling in it like um i don't i don't want to get in the car let's have a let's have a race see who can get there first so um sometimes we try and stay on it and and address it but when it's something as simple as i don't want to get in the car because there's a new person for me to talk to here that's not something you need to dwell on um I remember being young and, and sort of feeling that maybe some of those conversations weren't happening. Like, why are you doing... I remember saying as a boy, I don't know a lot. Why are you doing that? My answer was, I don't know. And I know that used to frustrate my mum and dad, but I genuinely didn't know. I didn't know why I misbehaved. I didn't know why I talked in class or I didn't know why I did these things. And I think looking back now, it was just pure 
attention seeking. So that's now why we try and focus positive attention on Ollie and then the negative stuff doesn't doesn't get attention. So we've remarkably seen it go down because he's like, oh, well, there's no point in front of attention because I don't, no one plays with me. But when I'm happy and, and connected to everyone, we all have a great time. Mm. So trying to, um, trying to pay attention to what I felt as a boy and good and bad and either trying to replicate or eliminate those behaviors and um learning how to do that and parenting the way that you want to parent and um it sounds like trying to really bring the joy and um focus on the positive for your boys um i'm curious about kind of the social and your peers Mm -hmm. um around that you know is fathering and how you father and your aspirations for it and the challenges of it is that something that you talk about a lot with your friends or describe to me how that's present or otherwise in those different spheres in your life? Yeah, so watching um, John, the um, cat's dad, uh, when, we, when we lived there and even now, very, very patient, always very patient and just a real non-engagement of behaviour that wasn't, appropriate so never really talked to him about being a dad but more tried to replicate that patience that he shows across the board um i'll try and stop saying people's names um, but um but other friends uh one couple have got three kids and i they are super regimented with how they sort of do sleep schedules and stuff like that and although we discussed that pretty early on kat and i that wasn't something that we felt that we could really stick to. Um, we were happy to break that a bit, but certainly having conversations with him, not so much as addressing why do you do this or how do you do this, but more in a it sort of comes up more organically um, in the, and often the answer is if you put in the hard yards now, your life is so much easier. Like if you get, we work, we've worked hard with Teddy with a sleep schedule, mm. as in as, as in a bedtime. And initially it was horrible because he screamed and didn't want to go to bed. And so we'd be in there patting his bum and come out and <laughs> patting his tummy and come out. But now he goes down without a, a whisper. And of course, within the first week of him being upset, you could go, oh, this is too hard. Let's just stay up and we won't have an evening. But seeing peers and good mates stick to that um, and, and act as a team, so even if they're maybe not in accordance with, oh, you maybe came down on him or her a bit hard there, um, saying that sort of separately in a, to each other or as a group of adults, rather than in front of the child, sort of showing, you know, showing a united front, I think is really important. We've learned that from several friends. Um, and we're lucky that, that we're of the age that now most of our friends have got kids that are probably under or was like one to probably seven um, and nephews as well so there's a lot of you know a lot of positives that people do that we see um, and try and emulate Mm. so it's never probably to to answer your question directly it's never a sit down hey what do you do to in this situation I'm probably the most open probably from some of the answers you can gauge that I'm probably the most open and most likely to ask that question or answer it. 
Um, but there's, and I, and, I, and I know that all of my male friends would answer the question, but I believe that it would only ever be me to open that engagement, mm. um, that curi- show that curiosity and say, um, hey, you know, I noticed that this behavior is um, really positive. Like, how do you do that? But when it comes to his male friends, Not everyone is as happy as David to share the load with their partners. What I'm hearing and what you're saying is something that I've heard a a lot in terms of um, that real intention to share things equally. And many heterosexual couples find that despite sharing things pretty evenly before children, that in that transition to parenthood, that they are kind of repeatedly nudged by systems that they interact with whether that be workplaces, um, education, health, welfare, or even the tax systems, um, towards more traditional arrangements. Um, And I'm just curious about whether you can think of any of those kind of nudges that have come from systems around you where you felt that tension or it's made it more difficult to realise um, that aspiration in line with your values. So I think the um, pretty uh, pretty conscious of the fact that um, I've had some friends comment before about the fact that you get home and like oh you get home and and like all you got to do is look after a baby and why is the house a mess like you know or how come I've still got to cook dinner up in at work all day? And it's so hard to challenge that. And I don't know where that's come from for them, but I, especially after COVID-19, like I've been at home all day and it's it, like, it's insane how much you've got to do and how exhausting it is. And, and I wish that that could be expressed to people. Um, so what I'm trying to say there is just the, the social side that I've seen repeated a few times is um you know the baby all it does is eat and sleep and poop so how hard is that to to manage um really hard because it's exhausting and um so socially probably seen that quite archaic view of how hard can it be um and I've always tried to a great response that I've um started to answer with is um trying to get into the conversation like well what's what what was the argument what was the issue oh i got into an argument because the dish dish was full of dirty dish the sink was full of dirty dishes and i've been at work all day and i was asked to do them and i was just over it and so i broke it down it's like okay so before you watch tv your partner asked all you had to, can you please do those dishes and you didn't want to so to make her happy that night all you had to do was a dish full of a sink full of dishes he's like yeah I said oh maybe do them <laughs> like, like like what are you doing in that 10 or 15 minutes that means that you can't do those and if you've told me that the the biggest thing in your partner's world is that those dishes are dirty do them and, and be a hero like do them unasked and be a champion um, so socially the nudges that you get are sort of those little, even the little jokes about how hard it can be. Oh, I'm only joking. Like those, um, 
well, where is there some degree of belief in that that you made that made that joke? Some gender stereotypes are easy to spot, like when men feel pressure to act tough in a crowd or engage in risky behaviour to impress their mates. But sometimes it's more subtle than that, and old ideas can affect how we feel about ourselves, even unconsciously. For example, an emotionally engaged dad who wants to be an equal contributor in the household might still feel that he shouldn't need help developing his parenting skills because of old stereotypes about men being self-reliant. And that can be a lot of pressure. I I personally think that some of my closest friends that are dads, who are awesome dads, think that they're not doing a great job. Mm. Um, you know, they feel like, and, and in myself as well, like I, I, I know I do as good a job as I can, but I know if I, I feel super guilty if I raise my voice or f- feel super guilty if I come down a bit hard on, um, or misunderstand a situation. I thought you were acting out, but you're actually, you're just trying to play a game or something. Mm. So there's a lot of guilt associated with that. Um, and I reckon some of my good mates that are really good dads, yeah, they just wouldn't, they either hold the pedestal too high, um, they're either trying to emulate a dad that they really respected and did a great job, or trying not to emulate poor behaviours, and when, as soon as they do one of those behaviours, feel um, probably a bit of shame around slipping into that groove, Um, because it's easier to it's easier to shout than to understand Mm. and it's easier to um, punish than um, get to the bottom of, well, I'll say understand again. It's easier to, to take toys away than say, well, why is it that you're doing X, Y, and Z? Like, oh, you feel unhappy or sad or hungry. Everyone should be free to explore and develop who they are without the pressure of gender stereotypes. Outdated ideas about how to be a man and a dad have contributed to men's high rates of suicide, depression and anxiety. In part, this is because trying to be tough, self-reliant and in control doesn't lead to healthy relationships with others, including children. And that's a lonely way to live. According to research by Vic Health, breaking free of traditional masculine stereotypes will improve the health and well-being of both men and women. But that's hard to do on your own. David makes regular use of mental health support to assist him navigate the challenges of fatherhood and further develop his parenting and relationship skills. Sina counselor previously um, and had found the communication and to not not to diminish the capability of anyone that does that as a profession but found that I had mates that were as good as a counsellor that I could talk to because I felt like a counsellor listened and could offer some probing and I had a great revelation and they and that was through a counsellor and they offered some probing questions which ignited thought but then I've talked to mates 
um, on a night out at 3am and they've given me just as good advice or asked as good probing questions. When I switched to see a psychologist, it was because I was looking for actual, that's what I did when became a dad is made that switch because I was looking for actual tools. Like I'm feeling angry that I'm my, I'm not being listened to. I'm feeling like I'm replicating behaviors I don't want to replicate. Um, and one of the best things he said to me was he acknowledged the expression and said that, would you like some tools to deal with that? And it was amazing to hear because yes, I do. And, and thought patterns and, um, ways to change your behavior exist and it's not just don't feel like that or try harder the feeling the feeling's valid why do you feel it in the moment you've got to get through the next 10 20 30 seconds or the next day coping with that anger and still being as good a dad as you can be and but don't forget about that like come back and deal with that why did what triggered that feeling what triggered that emotion um so i was really pleased i went down that path i know an ongoing kind of um frustration or struggle for mental health professionals is often that men don't seek help in the way that you did um and perhaps the father's group um, container is one way of normalizing the struggles of, um, becoming a, a dad and, mm. and fathering and, um, trying to live up to your aspirations of fatherhood, particularly when we're in this moment of time where the expectations of fathers, as you've articulated today, have changed so much in one generation or well, for a lot of people. Um, is there anything you would, what would you say, to dads who are struggling, um, who haven't reached out for help? I think, um, look, you've got, you, the easy answer is that you've got someone there on hand to, um, ask for help being the, the, the mum of, of the, of the kid, but that's presuming a lot, like you might not, um, you also might, you're in the daily grind of it. Um, you might be feeling, it's also hard to say to your partner, um, I feel like our relationship has suffered or I'm getting less attention um, or a multitude of things because they're the other person. And their response is probably, yes, and I've just changed a pooey nappy. What do you want from, like, you know, they're in, they're in the trenches with you. Um, and so I find that sometimes if that conversation shut down, even by the most loving partner and accidentally shut down in like, yeah, like we'll talk about this later tonight. And then that night everyone falls asleep because it's exhausting being a parent. Um, then go wider in your network and if you've got friends then just talking to someone like I've I've been on the phone to friends I've taken mates for beers where where you can see that something's not um not right um and something that always is in the back of my mind is a stat that I learned years ago in the UK and I didn't realize is prevalent worldwide um at the the suicide rate in in men is is out of control um and 
I can see in the situation of having a new baby um, or kids in general is that it is one of the most stressful things you can do. Super rewarding, but listening to a baby cry for a period of time can get under your skin. And if you've had an awful day at work, you aren't feeling connected to your partner, your baby's crying, you don't know how to fix it, you haven't let off steam by doing whatever it is you do, rock climbing, watching footy, playing Dungeons and Dragons, you, these things very quickly add up. And if you haven't got an outlet, and sometimes I knew that I had an appointment to see a mental health professional in, oh, it's four weeks away, that's quite a way away, but I know it's there, or it's tomorrow, great. Um, I, I think that I've spoken to people and they didn't even realise that in Australia you get those 10 appointments um, free with a counsellor or, or discounted with a psychologist. Um, that rebate is is really important and makes it a lot more accessible for people. Um, I, I think more knowledge of, of going for that, more um, public publications, you know, even a, a leaflet when you have a baby and you get sent home with your green maternal child health book, what about something in there that, that points you in that direction? Um, so the advice to men is, is look for help, ask for help, don't be embarrassed to ask for help. Don't be prideful. There's no shame in it. And I have had friends <laughs> message me when I'm quite open about the fact, oh, I had my psychologist appointment today, or, um, hey, my psychologist said to me about this reformatting information as it comes in, why don't you try it? Um, I've had two or three guys say, oh, I wish I saw a psychologist. Oh, I wish... Um, that's awesome that you're so open about it. I'd like to see one. Or how do you how how do I see one? <laughs> like I don't understand. Um, and it is a bit of a pain because you ring and you say, um, you know, you try and it's it's a quite a you you it's like meeting a new person. You don't know. I'm really fortunate in that I've I've found someone that I connect with and I can talk to. But you might feel that you only want to talk to a guy because they will only understand your guy issues. Um, but then some of the best people I've talked to have been women and they completely have a different point of view on it, which could really help some people. And if you have sought help before and you've said, oh, that's not for me, I think rethink that answer and think, was that person not right for you? Um, like looking for a, a, co a coach in anything, you might not gel with someone. So, so try again until you find that right person because there's... I've had the answer from other friends as well that I don't need to see a mental health professional. I've got mates and I've got a partner and you know, I don't need it. N not being macho, but more I've got all the support I need. But it's very different having a conversation with someone that has their own dog in the race in, I can talk to Kat and she is loving and supportive and wonderful, but she's the mother of my kids and my partner. So if I say I feel jealous of the attention that Ollie gets, she's going to think, well, he's my son. <laughs> <laughs> of course he gets attention. Um, whereas if I talk to my psychologist about that, um, he talks about, well, give me an instance of it. And we talk through instances of it. And could I even be involved? Could I be involved in that? Or am I jealous of the attention that he's got while I'm doing the dishes? 
if Ollie wasn't there, I'd still be doing the dishes. Like what attention do I want? Um, and creating the space to get attention, working harder at, okay, if I get the kids in a bedtime routine or if I keep them happy and content and fed, then we can have quality time together as a, as a um, husband-wife. We're not married, but husband-wife or, or, or partnership. Mm. Um, and the best mate in the world, the, the guy that gives me advice at 3 a.m. in the morning on a night out, again, is has got his own agenda or own views and own morals whereas a, a, a good psychologist or good mental health professional doesn't doesn't put those on you all they do is deal with facts which is rare <laughs> you've been listening to not the Babysitter, made by me, Ella Burke, for Women's Health Lodden Mallee and supported by the City of Greater Bendigo. And now, listeners, over to you. What's one thing that stood out for you in this episode? Was your new parents group explicitly inclusive for men? Or is it really still treated as a mother's group? Should hospitals check in on dads after difficult births? Or perhaps you've encountered dismissive attitudes when it comes to the skills needed to parent young children. To share your reactions or questions on the show, send a voice memo to hello at whlm.org.au.